Good morning, everyone. This is your host, Sid. Uh, this is episode number 19, Sit Down with Sid podcast. Um, our guest today is Steve Capsoros, and uh, the topic of our discussion is the demise of music, music industry. Uh, that being said, Steve, I want to thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast again. Thank you for having me. No problem. Steve, before we kind of get into the whole topic of the music industry and what's going on, would you take a minute or two to give a brief background about yourself to our audience? Sure. Um, grew up in New Jersey, North Jersey. Um, first concert I went to was Michael Jackson, 96. Had a blast. He's a great performer. Always was. Well, not in the end of his team term, but that's what it is. Um, first hardcore show I was at in 1990. And uh, I discovered my first mosh pit and fell in love. And since then, I've been to somewhere around a thousand shows, concerts and other um, clubs, music, dancing. That's kind of what I live for. Um, DJed for a minute, uh, still DJ my friends online, digging up new music so they can hear it. Um, as a profession, I'm an accountant, believe it or not. Uh, work for a real estate company in New Jersey. Uh, and great people, great atmosphere, great business. And I enjoy what I do. Great. I got to ask you about this hat. <laughs> What's up with this hat? Give us a little history about your hat. Well, a long time ago, uh, parents took me to the Meadowlands flea market and believe it or not, I won it on a pool table. They had that sink three balls and I got the hat and it was sitting around one day and all of a sudden someone's like, yo, you should wear that. It's fun. I'm like, all right. And it just stuck because, well, Mad Joker is my alias, uh, gaming handle, um, DJ handle, etc., And, uh, you know, the, the hat just had to have for over, almost 35 years now. And it's, it's just part of me. And who gave you that user handle, Mad Joker? How did you come up with that? Um, well, also comes around with a dog leash. One day, a long time ago, someone told, someone said, oh, that guy's off the friggin' chain. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it, also helped with the uh, the Jenko jeans and the chain wallet that was a literal chain I found on a gate one day that could probably hold the car up. Thing weighed about twenty eight pounds, and I had it connected on my uh, on my belt. <laughs> wow! So let me ask you, Steve, how and when did you started to show interest in the music industry? At what um, age did this all started happening? Well, I grew up on music. My dad was. Uh, huge Pink Floyd fan. Uh, also my favorite band. Uh, number two, I would say is Tool. Uh, those are the two that really stick out because in my opinion, Tool picked off where Pink Floyd left off. You know, like, I mean, James Maynard is an absolute genius. And even after an almost 15 year break, still dropped an album that wrecked the industry. Um, so I've been in music. My dad was lifter. He'd go in the, in the garage. I'd lift with him and he'd crank Pink Floyd and Jethro Tull, Talking Heads. And I've been into music since the mid eighties, um, all forms. And it just, it grew into metal, into industrial and into other formats of music as I found new things over the years and dug through the internet. Great. So now I want to get into the topic of the music industry. So as you know, for any musician, combining music genres is a potential option. You know, if it is done correctly, it can become a staple of their music and help them become a huge success. On the downside, if it's done incorrectly, it can make their music sound like an incomprehensible jumble, right? So, but... I would say that the potential benefits of mixing genres can definitely far outweigh the potential setback. That being said, that being said, how blending genres do you think expands an artist's music audience 
And as the time goes on, as the time has gone by, the genre divides in music have become increasingly irrelevant. But why is that? Why do you think there is such a huge tectonic shift in, in, in this industry? Well, everyone, every band wants to be them. They want to stick out, stand out from the crowd. Now, there's lots of genres of music and no one wants to be put in box because it's not, it's not progressive. It doesn't enhance the scene. If we're just listening to what the radio says, which is these six genres. And if you don't fall into that bucket, well, well, we, I don't know if we're going to sign you. Maybe you can change a little bit of your sound. But a band should be able to do what they want to do. And because this is their expression. Music is an art. And it it should be conveyed. It, bad way of putting it. It should be their expression. It should be their talent, their skills. And I feel sticking yourself in a box and only staying there because that's what they want is it is counterproductive to growth because some of the greatest stuff I've heard is folk stuff. I in a language I don't even understand, but you can feel the beauty of the sound. You can feel what they put into it, their talent, their vocal skills. And in many cases, no vocals instrumentals, I have to carry a song much stronger than a song of vocals because lyrics, people like lyrics. They like hearing it. They like it spoon fed to them. But you get your instrumentals that are beautiful. If take Metallica, Orion, eight minutes of just glorious instrument work. It's a beautiful track. It doesn't need lyrics because it carries it. I really feel that the change that a lot of these independent artists are doing, experimenting with different genres, trying to put things together, bringing rap into metal, bringing rap into country is growth. But we don't get to hear this on the radio because they fall into a full niche, small niche, which the industry doesn't think is going to get played well or get heard well. Uh, it's might get bad back, backlash on all the social media sites because it, it just doesn't fall in the right bucket. It doesn't fall into dollar signs. Let's go there. Well, well, to add to that, I can also tell you that according to Tim Ingham article in Rolling Stone, uh, he specifically stated social media not streaming is the music's industry future. And you know, massive social media companies are paying huge amounts of uh, dollars to companies for the use of their music. So now my question to you is, while social media allows artists to create more content online, build a larger fan base and helps them connect on a broader spectrum, do you think it's influence itself on the independent artist, the business, and I mean, the overall music industry, is it positive or negative from your point of view? It really depends on which social media site. Um, YouTube, I wouldn't consider social media, maybe a little. Um, Spotify, no. Um, SoundCloud is a great platform. But let's go to Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. Yeah, but those are two different things. Steve, YouTube, uh, Spotify, these are streaming platforms, which are Correct. still online streaming platforms. Correct. Whereas, as you said, the Facebook, the Instagram, the LinkedIn, the TikTok, those are especially social media sites which are used by people all around the world. So, so, so what do you think? Do you think, I mean, being an avid music lover, you know, you, you live and breathe music. What is your take on this stuff? I don't, I don't get much, I don't put much stock in the internet right now in um, social media for the reason that it's the same stuff. I don't hear metal. I don't hear country. I hear the same 
whatever they're passing off as rap nowadays with auto-tune and like TikTok, for example. I mean, I'm not on TikTok, but it shows up on my Facebook feed and I'll pick a video here and there. And 99% of it is girls twerking to mumble rap. It's not even music, to be honest. It doesn't even sound good. I don't understand how, I think auto-tune is just everywhere now. Everyone's using it and why? What, because you can't sing? In my opinion, if you're using auto-tune, you can't sing. And that's all I hear on the social media sites. It's the pop rap scene. There's no birth. There's no instrument work. All they're doing is taking other, other songs from way back in the day and using that as background beat. They're not even making their own beats. Like, hey, pick up a guitar grab a drum, do something, but you're just stealing other people's stuff to sound terrible over it. But don't they have like copyright issues? You just can't take someone's uh, say song or lyrics without, you know, I mean, copyright is big in music industry. Well, they're going to have to pay whatever they do. If I decide to rap over Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd, well, I'm going to have to pay Pink Floyd royalties to use that exact track. Now, if I pull out a guitar and decide to play something that sounds similar, well, music evolves over time. And obviously, certain guitar sounds, drum sounds are going to be similar, even though there's something original I played or I'm playing something from someone else. If I'm taking an exact song or using someone else's lyrics, that's a different story because then you have to pay royalties to that band. I can't just have Pat Benatar doing, you know, the, the chorus on my song because she sounds great. I'm going to have to pay her for that. Now, if... But do you mind if I give you a pushback, pushback on this? Go ahead. So the reason... So let me ask you, to you, what is music? You said music is a form of art, right? That's what it you is said. Art. Now, this conversation makes it more interesting and compelling because is it that someone like an artist taking royalties for letting someone else use their lyrics, are they compromising on their integrity? Or are they... My question is, who is the real culprit? Is it the artist itself or the social media? Because if you got to keep the integrity of the lyrics and you are a music artist, I don't think any amount of money can actually can actually uh, can actually you know what's the right word I want to say can actually buy your integrity, the origin of the music that you put your heart and soul into. So at the end of the day, it's just a money business. We are talking just dollars again here. So who is the real culprit? There might not necessarily be a culprit. I write a song. I want to use some artist material. The artist gets to hear it first. They decide whether, hey, that's cool. Do it. Or they say, you know what? I don't want to be portrayed like that. That's their choice. So I don't think there's a culprit here. Because if someone wants $5,000 to use their voice, their verse, their other in a song that I'm making, that's between, well, me and that person. And if they decide that, oh, this is great. I like it. Go with it. Hey, pay me for my intellectual content. Awesome. I don't think social media has an impact on that. I think that's an artist versus another artist basis, which is it's their choice. It's my choice to use them. It's their choice to allow. And again, pay me. If I decide to use their content, well, then I should pay them for that. And that's their decision. And that's also growth if I'm doing something with their art that is going to grow them or just 
keep them going because a lot of these bands are old. Their artists are clipping songs from the 70s, from the 60s. So these artists now still live on through other, like when, like when Puffy decided to use uh, Led Zeppelin in one of his songs. It was amazing. It was on the Godzilla soundtrack. Great track. You know, Puffy, not one of my favorite artists, but he did a great job with it. And it brought something new to the floor. And it was, it was different, which was, in my opinion, growth. Uh, fair enough. So, Steve, I'm going to touch base on the digital music influencers. I mean, you know, these influencers who have a huge fan base on social media sites, such as, as we mentioned, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and other platforms are actually becoming an essential marketing tool in the music industry, especially for the emerging artists, you know. Uh, this has been happening in health and fitness, clothing, music industry, any other in industry. So my question to you is, do you think these influencers are actually ruining the music industry, causing more harm than doing good to the music industry itself? Um, which influencer are you speaking of? Are we speaking of like SoundCloud? Well, no. A lot of music influencers, for example, there are like, you know, like companies they hire models, you know, male and female models on social media sites who have huge gatherings, you know, who already have a huge fan base. And they pay them royalty for letting them use them as a model for their branding. So my question to you is, do you think in, in, in an era we live in, are these influencers, is this a good marketing strategy? Number two, do you think these influencers do music industry good or bad? Uh, when it comes to social media, it's still part of the industry, in my opinion, because anyone grabbing a song is going to grab something that is heard, it's on the radio, it's popular. It's not where I was going with this, the growth of the electronica scene, the growth mm -hmm. of trip hop, um, EDM has been around forever. Uh, EBM, industrial, um, any type of IDM. I mean, it, it's the alphabet game because they all have their own names to their genres. Um, but it's, these are small genres, short of club music, techno. Even in industrial, it's been around since 19, Anthony new bottom, and back in the early 80s, been around for almost 40 years. So these are big but small. Industrial got big in the early 90s with Nine Inch Nails, Gravity Kills, uh, God Lives Underwater. It kind of got mainstream, but you didn't hear the real stuff, the stuff that's played at the clubs, the stuff you danced to. You heard what the radio wanted. And again, Trent Reznor, genius, one of my favorite artists as well, I don't want to take anything away from him. And he's, again, he's a genius. But I don't think that the social media is promoting, truly promoting the independent artists, the smaller artists, the that sound that's original, that unique, and not what we hear every day. Because it's it just ends up becoming a mesh. And I still think that Social media is going to look to top producers that are really not looking out for the growth of the industry. They're looking out for their wallets. And I think social media just promotes that because I don't hear anything really new unless I'm digging for it myself. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, so I want to ask you about now, you know, like from nightmare ticketing to online abuse, being a music fan these days is actually becoming miserable. Uh, the stress of trying to get tickets, especially at atrocious prices, have led to feelings of anger and loathing amongst these music fans. And it all seems like a part of music culture that feels increasingly greedy and combative. Why do you think this is happening now? And was it the case a decade ago, a couple of decades ago? It's been the case for a long time. Now, as I said, I've been to over a thousand shows. 
but never big venues. You know, like when I was younger, early 90s, there was a club everywhere. There was a bar everywhere. And, you know, I mean, I live in North Jersey, Pipeline, Studio One, uh, go out to Brooklyn, Lemoore's was there. The city had Roseland, Hammerstein, and they were smaller venues, five, 10,000 people, and in many cases, 500 people. But there was always multiple bands. You got to meet the bands. Um, I was a mosh pit kid. You know what? After that band got up, that first, those two opening bands got off stage, they were in the pit dancing with you. And it was fun. You got to meet them. You got to hang out with them, you know, smoke a cigarette with them, have a drink with them. And you got to know them as people. You go to these big shows, these big venues, and the prices of, I mean, Ticketmaster was bad back in the day when we used to pay $10 for tickets and then they went up to 20 all of a sudden. And Ticketmaster was taken at S10. This is back in 95. Now today, you know what? I went to Lollapalooza in 99. Uh, it was 50 bucks. I saw almost 30 bands. They were, well, there were almost 30 bands there. I didn't get to see them all. But now you go to a festival like that for $500? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it, like Tool just played over at the Pack Center. And back of the floor was like $900 a ticket. It's obscene. Listen, I went to Rolling Stones concert four years ago in Netherlands. I paid fortune to be in the pit. I mean, you yep. know what? I had to see them once and I paid, but I was like, holy shit. I mean, pardon my language, but uh, it, it's unbelievable the prices, you know? And uh, I went to Barclays Center last year as well in Brooklyn to watch uh, the Strokes concert and uh, prices are unbelievable, you know? Yeah. So how do people afford that? I mean, they, they have these big music festivals now. They got one over, they got Aftershock and usually goes out in Cali. I mean, the lineup is incredible. Yeah, Megadeth, you got Tool. You're going to see a lot of great bands. And again, Megadeth, kudos. Mustaine broke away from Metallica in the mid-80s, started his own thing, and even today is still making music 40 years later. That's and it's still good, incredible, but it also falls into the same bucket. So there's no growth of metal there. It's just, hey, we can do this. We do this well. This is what we do. And 100% respect to that. Aerosmith did it. Pink Floyd did it. The Rolling Stones did it. Queen did it. And they were great. Now, we really don't have dynasties anymore. You know, I mean, like, I would consider the Rolling Stones a dynasty. Started in the 60s, uh, spoke out about Vietnam. Same with Aerosmith. It, you hear Aerosmith pre-80, they're a different band than they oh, yeah. are in the 90s when they fell into almost a 90s alternative category, which they evolved through the years. Anthrax did. Bon Jovi did. You hear Bon Jovi back in... You used to be one of my favorite bands back in the 90s growing up, Bon Jovi. And fun fact... The most, the most played karaoke song in the world is Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. Really? It's the most played karaoke song ever. Wow. Wow. Uh, most, pl most played song in um, weddings and anything else, any events, is Jimmy Buffett, um, Margaritaville. Wow. Yeah, I'm uh, totally useless knowledge. <laughs> that's unbelievable. So, Steve, I, I want to talk about. I know I mentioned copyrights in the beginning as well of this of this podcast. So, you know, nowadays the artists are fighting for the rights to their own masters. And for our audience who don't know, a master refers to the underlying rights to a specific song or right. to any song they produce. Now, generally, how it works is the record label owns the rights to the master giving the artist an advance and royalty percentage from all the profits that is made from the music. Now, many popular musicians have indicated that it is better for artists to retain control of their masters. That way they can control and own their own work. 
What do you think are the reasons behind the rising battle between music artists and record labels these days? Uh, record labels are difficult. And um, I'd like to use Eminem as, as a good example. Uh, 96, if I have my date correct, I think 96 was his first official release. And that's over 25 years ago. Um, short of an album he put out in around 2018, which we don't talk about, M is still amazing. Now, he also falls in a different category because as Eminem, he has rights with his label because of how big he is. I mean, he's a monster. He can work with anybody and will work with anybody. And he is still allowed, unlike many other artists, to do his own independent work, which is an unusual format. Most of the time, the record label commands it. So he's got his stuff he does with the record label, which I'm not 100% sure what he owns the rights on, but I'm sure he gets a better percentage than most other people. Um, most other artists, sorry. Um, but he's still able to do what he wants. Well, he made a name for, for himself in an industry that was dominated by people as Biggie, Tupac, uh, Jay-Z. Eminem is the only guy, I, I mean, who made his name and is considered as one of the best rappers in, in, in the music industry, right? So, yeah, I mean... One know. of them? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Tupac? Agreed. Biggie? Agreed. Jay-Z? Trust fund, baby. I think Jay-Z and Ja Rule were the beginning... Um, Kanye, uh, Little Wayne, the game. Let's just introduce all these are artists that started the auto tune. But we don't hear about them anytime, any, and we don't hear about these people anymore. Look at, I don't know when was the last time Kanye West album was released. He's been fighting the bipolar depression, divorce with Kim Kardashian, you know, losing all his, uh, uh, I, I forgot the name. He changed his name to E or something, losing all the rights to Adidas, losing half of his fortune. Jay-Z, well-established, married to Beyonce, one of the best couples in the music industry, successful. Agreed. He 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 passed the baton. Uh, you had guys coming up like, I'm a big hip-hop rap artist, uh, sorry, fan. You know, Rick Ross. I used to love Rick Ross. Uh, DMX, one of my favorite songs. Lord, give me a sign. One of my favorite songs ever. DMX did a lot of great work. He was probably, when the 90s spilled over, because, you know, rap started in the mid-80s. Right. With your one day. Um, uh, Warren G. Like, these guys were amazing. They were pioneers. And then it flowed over. You had your, I don't want to throw a, you know, situations in here but they rap about their lives dre snoop dog uh method man higher wu-tang clan ghostface these guys rapped about their life that that war between biggie and tupac was real that's a great point actually brought it up and they but they they did it you know i'm ice cube had the same issue with cypress hill that's when west side connection came out and Cypress Hill's Temples of Boom album was an attack on Ice Cube. And, you know, this is how the industry went, but they rapped about where they were from, what they what they went through, you know, like Dre grew up, Doc Dre grew up in Compton. You know, Compton, Watts. Look at Biggie and Tupac. Then wasn't wasn't a friendly area, but they rapped about their struggle, about their growth. It was real. Whether you liked it or not, didn't like the style, you know, I mean, I can't even play a, so a, a song that's a little rappy for my father. He'll be like, what is this crap, son? I don't like but it. I have a rappy. question, Steve. That's a great point. You brought it up. This is about their life. Uh, you know, I've heard Biggie. I actually have a music, which I'll send it to you in a bit. Uh, Biggie, you know, when he's up and coming, singing on the streets of Brooklyn. And to where he rose and the unfortunate passing of Tupac, Biggie, uh, which we'll leave it for some other time. Good answer. Why do you think that the hip-hop rap has that, you know, the lyrics, they're obscene. 
you know, uh, it is not considered appropriate to be played in the majority of the society. You know, it's a specific niche, say 100 million people in the world love hip hop rap. They don't care about lyrics. They want to imitate the artists. But the other population, they don't like the music. They don't like the beats, especially they don't like the lyrics, you know. Uh, being a lover of music as much as you are, what do you have to say to that? Like, why do you think is this perception? Do you think obscenity is good for the music? Do you think it should be excluded? Uh, even though they're talking about their lives. Tell me, tell me your uh, feedback on this. Well, let's go to, let's switch a little and go to metal. Satanic music, uh, you worship Satan, this is this is anger, destruction, you're talking about blood and never all right. What's the difference between the metal slash core scene where they're talking about death and destruction, even though that's not what they're conveying? These people are just rapping about their lives, whether they're using curses, that's their artistic if again, um, Going to quote George Carlin here. There's two knobs on the radio. One turns the volume up and down. The other one turns the radio off. If you don't like it, don't listen to it. And I, I would rather get bombarded with all different stuff and have to turn off every other song than not get to hear what's out there and what's moving. I don't want, music shouldn't be censored. This is someone's, this is what's coming out of their brain. This is what, what signals come from your brain to your, to your finger, to that guitar. And, and or horn, any instrument, piano. I mean, they can tell a story with an instrument. You know, like Dave Matthews. So you're telling us there should be no censorship to a music industry. There shouldn't be because it's it's one of those things like, are you going to tell me if I'm cooking you, uh, if I'm cooking you a shrimp scampi not to put garlic in it? Well, this is my creation. I made this. This is my art. I mean, yeah, I'm comparing it to food. But what I do with it is what I do with it. You can't tell me, uh, well, you put that in there. I don't like it. Well, then don't eat it. If you like it, have at it. By the way, my shrimp scampi is amazing. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about auto-tune. You know, uh, I just want to give uh, a little brief info about auto-tune to our, uh, to our audience. So auto-tune was invented in 1997 by Dr. Andy Hildebrandt, and it was released by his company, Antares Audio Technologies. Now, the main purpose of autotune was it was used as a proprietary device to measure and alter pitch in vocal and instrumental music recording and performances. Now, my question to you is, do you think the resurrection of the resurrection of autotune, has it destroyed the modern music and obscuring real vocal talents? It's absolutely destroyed it. I mean, we've artists have been using tools. Uh, harmonic microphones and stuff like that since the 80s. I mean, it was different example, but at one point, Pink Floyd had a song where they the guy was playing drums on a chain link fence. They Artists use what they want. And you go into industrial, club music, EDM, they all have their filters on their mics where they're making their voice sound scratchier or they're able to scream louder and they're changing things, which is, Hey, if it sounds great, it's great. But now everything is auto tuned, which means can you sing as a vocalist? Can you sing? This is your talent, your voice, but you're letting a machine do it. Your voice is altered and they all sound the same. All I hear is yum, 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 yum. It's literally razor blades to my ears where try something new. 
Use your voice. That's what you got to Who's to blame for this? That's my question. Because it was invented for a good cause, right? It was invented to enhance music, but it's become music. It's become the staple. It's what they look for. How can you do it? How can you do it better? Like, what are you doing better? You all sound the same. That's unfortunate. You know, it's terribly unfortunate and it's not growth because I want to hear all different things, you know, like this band, Bloodywood, Indian hardcore band, and they are absolutely amazing. They sing, they rap, metal, prog, and they have so much talent and they play different instruments. They bring everything into the mix and they're using their own voices. Half the songs, I don't understand. I don't speak that language. It doesn't mean I can't appreciate the beauty of the music and the sound and the history that they put in from their own culture. That's growth. Singing something with a sound that sounds like everybody else. Um, what are we doing here? We're not, That's not authentic, we're not you know. Building. We're not growing. We're not showing. Like what I always tell people is, I want to hear what you can do with sound. Whether it's got lyrics, no lyrics, instruments. I want to hear new instruments. I want to hear someone playing something on a kazoo. Do it. Pull out the flute. Pull out the harmonica. Pull out all the weird horns we don't hear. Do it because it's growth. Like when Scott started becoming big in the, in, in the nineties, I mean, again, it was, became more mainstream and Scott's been around since, I mean, it's a base, it's fed off of punk rock, which punk rock's been around since what, 72. And it's, you can hate the punk rock scene because, Oh, anarchy in the UK, sex pistols, but you know what? It's also the same thing the rappers did in the 90s these are people that were punk was a revolution it was fighting against government tyranny against what's going on it was them in the moment you know i mean the cold war was big hot and running at the time and in the early 70s yeah you were just tailing off vietnam so these are people that were they were rapping about their freedom and their rights as human beings, singing, not rapping. Punk was not a rap scene, but punk birthed metal. Punk birthed hardcore. Hardcore was take Biohazard. They started out as a punk rock band and became what they did throughout the 80s as they grew. But they adapted and they went more with their style and it changed. But back then, they were allowed to express themselves. And the music industry loved that. And they ate that up. Nowadays, a band like Biohazard is, they're great still because they're who they are. And they who they became 30, 40 years ago. But now is a band like that going to come become popular the same way? Well, it also has to do with generation gap. You know, while you're talking about this, it takes me back to my old memories, you know. Uh, I am a big lover of trance music, you know. Uh, it just puts me in a in a state of zen that you know I feel like I'm 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 like high without being high, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. But to my father or my uncle or anyone in my family, when I they listen to what I listen, they're like, "What the hell is this?" They're like back in the days in our times, beautiful voices, vocals. Now it's all about music, you know, beats, as you said, you know, treble, beats, you know, bass. Uh, whereas before it was, as you said, vocal artist, you know, you could you would appreciate the lyrics because you can hear the vocals clearly, which is not being suppressed by the, the beats and the auto tunes and et cetera, which is being happening now. But I love my music. I respect their opinion and views. But I love what I love, you know. Times are different. And you should love what you love. But trance is trance started out as a club scene. Um, we had Tunnel, Limelight, 
I mean, I was a little young. I caught the tail end of a couple of these places. And trance music, especially side trance, oh, so much energy on a dance floor. Yeah. It's so much fun to move to. And it's got a, a light feel to it where I got some trance songs that I want a DJ battle with one. Like it was just what the hell? Like, where'd you find this? It's just so beautiful. And then some of it's fast beat. Again, Psytrance sits around 150 to 170 beats per minute. It's huge. It's fast. It's very fast. Like three times as fast as your average metal song. Right. But your EDM sits around 100. Industrial, same, 100, 110. And it's fast. It's adrenaline. And that's what gets club club scene going. Love the club scene. Love dancing. That's, again, one of my things. So, you know, but and I wear the Joker hat and the dog leash on a dance floor because that's just everyone's got their own thing and I'm freaking weird. But <laughs> the, <laughs> but the, the momentum you get from that is energy. And it's not Maybe it's not something you're going to listen to while I'm at my desk at work typing and doing accounting things because maybe it's too fast or maybe I want to listen to metal today. Uh, maybe that's too hard. Um, usually I resort to folk, trip hop, chill is amazing music. It's just, it's instrument work. Take Tycho. Tycho is like Dave Matthews. You can play like over 30 instruments. He layers his own stuff plays all his own instruments. I mean, and his music is so chill. Jazz blues back. And it's nothing you've ever heard before. But why aren't we hearing this more? I mean, this is stuff where anyone I introduce to, like Tycho to, like take juice, we shoot pool. He's playing Tycho all the time. Great stuff. It's chill. It's not abrasive. Sometimes you just like that nice background noise and yeah. the, they will filter in electronica. A lot of this stuff is blended and people say it's made up because they're not doing it all at once. You don't got a four piece. You don't got Led Zeppelin on a stage. You don't got Pink Floyd. You don't got Metallica there. You know, you got a bass, you got a lead guitar, you got a backup guitar, you got drums and they make music. I mean, it's different because it's, not really something you can play live, which is the industry will look at it like, where are we making money off this? You know, Tycho's not going to sell out a stadium. Right. But yet, Axel Rose, who, I don't know, I he's, Guns N' Roses was amazing in the 80s. One of my favorite bands, dude. November yeah. Rain, one of my November, favorite songs. November Rain, that solo at the end by Slash. I still hear and, it every day. Almost on a daily basis. I would not say in my top three of greatest guitarists ever. And that's that's a big, big number. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, Slash, he was the he was the best artist in that band. Axel had his time and place. I don't think today he doesn't even sound good. I think November Rain became a hit because of Slash guitaring. I can tell you that when he goes out in the field near the church, I mean that two minute solo that he played. Dude, I wish people people should definitely, I'll recommend people, guys, listen to November Rain by Guns N' Roses and uh, pay attention to Slash. Uh, he's a guy whose face is covered with curly hair and uh, listen to his uh, talent on the guitar and tell me what you feel, you know. Also the video, when, when MTV used to do videos, you know, yeah. way back in the day. Yeah, exactly. And they had the video where it was out in the middle of like the desert by a house just well in that guitar but yeah where'd that solo come from it was different it was unique it was his own 100 percent. but listen to comfortably numb by pink floyd also an eight and a half minute song and that solo at the end is probably one of the greatest guitar solos in music history which slash modified really own thing to if you listen to the end of Comfortably Numb, it's very 
similar to the end of November rain. Oh, I, I, I got it. Wow. Interesting. And also, I recommend Queen on by Pink Floyd. Great. Uh, I have a couple of more things before we wrap this up, Steve. I want to talk about uh, the cost of living crisis, how it has been impacting the local DJs, the club scene, and 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 the independent artists who are trying to get a name in this industry. You know, um, what do you have to say to that? Like, do you think, or or let me put it this way: Does the cost of living crisis play a significant role in the hindrance of the name and fame of these local DJ artists, club scenes, independent artists, trying to name make a name in this highly competitive music industry? Well, it also depends on where you are. Let's, let's start with America. Right. Um, if you were a DJ at a, a New York City club in the 90s, oh, God, you made bank. You made bank. You're walking out with a lot of money. And you could live off that easily. Even if that carried through to today, absolutely. Now, also involves how many of these clubs are still around? There are not many clubs left. I mean, you got you got a few. You got QXTs, Newark. That's an industrial club, though. But I mean, there was not- a club when I was in college, dude. I used to go to this name. I still remember Lana Lounge was in Hoboken by on the border. It had yep. two levels. Dude, yes. they will play this house trance music with the lights yep. off. And it till date, I'm talking about 2007, man, 17 years ago, 16 years ago. And till date, I have never felt like I've felt in that in that lounge because the music they played, because they don't have places anymore. I'm like, let me check a couple of years ago. I'm going to go back again. Closed, gone out of business. They all do. Liability. Um, maybe we get into that a little later if we're still on, on that topic, but all these clubs are gone. So the other scenes, you know, you still got a pyramid still around in the city. Um, your QXC's got shampoo over in Philadelphia. Um, but these DJs don't make money. I mean, they, they get their, you know, 150 bucks for DJing the night, but they all have jobs. They all have other things. A lot of them produce their own music. Um, right. My my friend Lenny, a Cenotype, he DJed at QXTs for probably 20 years. Right. Uh, he also was in Life Cried. Amazing guy, giant. It's like 6'9", but one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Um, so talented. So talented. But they didn't. He had his own job. He did his own thing. And then he made a couple extra bucks having fun at the club or making music. I mean, this isn't a scene where you're making money off your stuff unless you're huge. Right. I mean, you get to the level of a Covenant or a Sandwich 23 or a Leather Strip. You're making money. But the other bands do it for the love of And they do it because they enjoy it. They got jobs. They got families and this is what they do in their spare time to grow things and to this is what's coming out of their brain my my daughter's an artist and her music is incredible she just started it takes her a minute to to make stuff but she's doing it all herself she's playing her own instruments and so proud of her and when she's ready i got connections uh in the industry that'll help get her music out. But she's unlikely she's going to make a career off of that. But to her, it's what she loves doing. It's an art. It's, hey, look, I made this. And you should have seen a smile on her face when my dad's like, hey, this is awesome. This is really good. You did this? Like, and she had an ear-to-ear smile. She was so happy, like, Oh wow! I didn't think Grandpa was gonna like it. I'm like, I told you he would. Like, it's good stuff, and that is a talent that's getting stifled by the music industry because they're not allowing artists to grow and do their own thing. You know, I mean, look at Lincoln Park. The Hybrid Theory album was 
a goddamn bomb. Huge. I mean, that thing sat in my player for like three months straight. And it was just, wow. And then they dropped me Tori and It's like, well, what happened? You had three songs that didn't fit on hybrid theory? And then they just went downhill, you know? And it's like, that's, I don't blame the band for that. I blame the industry. Hey, we're looking for more of this. We're looking for more of that. And by their fourth album, I mean, I think I listened to the first three songs and turned it off. Like, what happened to you guys? You guys had an album that didn't leave my player for three months. And now I can't listen to three songs. What happened? How? How'd you go from that to this? And you don't even sound the same anymore. Um, can you, like, what are you guys doing? Or what are you being told to do? Or how to act? Music shouldn't be what they want to hear. It should be what you want them to hear. What you made, what you created. Not what they want you to make. That doesn't make a good, a good song that does not make. So Steve, uh, my final question on this uh, topic uh, before we wrap this up is from an emerging challenges like artificial intelligence to new forms of piracy, it is more important than ever for the independent artists in the music industry to present a united front. This is my opinion. My question to you is, do you agree or disagree? Uh, could you just repeat that real quick? So from emerging challenges like the AI to new forms of piracy, I feel that it is more important than ever for these independent artists to present a united front to protect the integrity of this industry. Do you agree or disagree? Um, I don't know if well, AI definitely has a definitely has a uh, impact on it, but I think artists should be more steadfast about what they want to do, how they want to play it, and it's tough because you got to adapt to the music industry. They can't play what they want to play because if no one's going to listen. They, they have to, they, here's the thing. Well, I discover music every day. I probably send songs out to over hundreds of people a day because I just find them. I look them up and I find streams. They like YouTube's great because it suggests artists that sound like that and that sound like something you're listening to. So, but it's all unknown stuff. So I'm going to hear something I've never heard before as opposed to listen to the radio where it's like, oh, they just played this song an hour ago. Um, but it's also not what I want to hear. I want to discover new sounds. I want to expose these artists and show them to the world and say, oh my God, what did I just, what I just step in? And I'm sitting out in front of Castle Billiards cranking that thing on repeat for hours because, oh my God, what I just find. That's that's a passion that when I find that it's like, I can't wait to share it. I want people to hear it. And there's so many of these artists, there's thousands upon thousands of them. And I can listen to this. People hear it. They're like, Oh my God, I'm going to go in the bar and play this. Not in a jukebox. About 2% of what I listen to is actually in the jukebox. And it's all either Classic, old, pop, other is all there. But what about that? What about that song that came out that was amazing? At least in the nineties, we had one hit wonders like "Take Everlast." Um, when he did "What It's Like," oh my god, that blew the world. Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> Don't make me Rick roll you. <laughs> but. Yeah, like they don't, I don't hear stuff like that anymore. A song just doesn't come on randomly and go, oh my God, what is this? I don't hear that. Like in the 90s, that happened every week, every single week. Back in the 80s, it was a forefront of just everyone did what they wanted. The music industry wasn't raping them, 
And it was amazing. It was, there was new things every day and every band was different. I mean, the eighties and nineties were amazing for music, even going back further the seventies too. Like you heard stuff like the talking heads followed by Jeff Rotel. I mean, no one sounds like Jeff Rotel. They are the one of the most unique bands ever. And their stuff's amazing. And people didn't like some of it. People like some of it, but Still now, I look back and go, oh, my God, they were pioneers. They grew the music industry. Now we don't have that. You know, we're going to hear the newest song by whatever mumble rapper or, you know, oh, you know, the, the only album that really came out in the last 13 years from a mainstream band was Tools, Fear, and Cognition, uh, which came out uh, back in 2020-ish. Uh, that was amazing. I mean, after dormant for almost 20 years, Maynard comes back strong, real strong. It, but that's rare. Who else has done that? Who else has really put out stuff? I mean, and I don't want to take away from any other artists because there's so many moving, you know, animals as leaders, they're a uh, math band, math metal, math core incredible work but they don't have that following you know i hear them because i know them and i'm on that scene and i i look for stuff like that but the radio may be pushing the contortionist and a couple tracks by animals as leaders but i'm not going to hear them every day on the radio and they're for their scene they're huge they're monsters but who's hearing them you know, I mean, again, they fall into a niche. They're not what the radio wants you to hear. Instead, we're hearing someone auto-tuned that, you know, girls are twerking to. You know, like, I'm done with that. That's not the, not the point. You know, like, bro, show me what you can do with sound. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear something different. I want you to shock me. I want... I want you to make my brain hurt and go, oh my God, that's, that's music. That's growth. That's what we're missing now. And I, I believe the industry's become generic. It's money hungry. And at least you got small platforms like SoundCloud where people can promote their music, make a couple bucks off it. And at the end of the day, there are a lot of platforms where the artist is getting, my roommate does music. They're getting 90% of their sales, not 10, because they're able to promote their own stuff. So there's many platforms for that. But are these known to the public? Are these places where your normal Joe is going? Because you know what? Probably the largest, actually the largest genre of music in this country, in America, is country. You go outside a big city, Everyone listens to country music. Interesting. But to be honest, not, not my cup of tea. Have a lot of country songs I love. Total respect for the industry. Total respect for the sound. Eh, a lot of it's not my style. But that doesn't mean it sucks. Doesn't mean I'm going to throw a wrench at it. It's great music. It just, some of them hit me right. Some of them hit me wrong. But that's the large percentage of this country is either that rock. And at this point, if you're in any city, it's all mumble rap. You know, like my friends, I've been around, I'm 46. Been listening to rap since the beginning of rap. And I talk to my friends and we're at the bar and like, they don't even want to listen to rap anymore. Like, oh, they're still listening to Tupac, Biggie, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, and Eminem. Music that's 20 years old is what they're listening to. They haven't listened to rap in 20 years because they hate it. These are people that grew up there, grew up on the scene, could relate to it because of some of them were in gangs, whatever. And this was part of their life, getting out of that. You know, like... Doc Dre 
so much respect, pulled himself out of that, created his own record label and promoted how many artists? Eminem would be nothing without Dre. Now, mind you, he is kind of amazing, but all the controversy around his original albums, his lyrics, the, the anger and the violence that was portrayed was, if you dug into the music, it was him telling us what he went through. It was him telling us about his life. And that's what they did back then. You know, it was real. And now you got to dig for those guys. People like Dax, NF, you know, they, I mean, Tech Nine's still around. And now he's working with other artists. He just dropped the uh, song What with uh, Kim Dracula. Working with an industrial singer. And it's amazing. It's absolutely incredible music. And Tech's been around since what? 95, 96? One of the fastest rappers ever. 100% skill. And we don't, we don't hear that in a jukebox. But we're going to hear someone auto-tuning. I don't, that doesn't help the scene. It's, anyone can do that. I can sing and sound like Yam Yams if I want to, you know, because there's a computer doing it for me. Show me what you can do. I mean, M is one of the fastest rappers ever. And he did it with natural talent. And showed off. That's what I want to see. Show me what you can do. That's great, Steve. Steve, uh, we got to wrap this up, man. I want to thank you very much for taking the time. And uh, to our audience, I want to uh, ask them, guys, like, share, subscribe, press that bell notification button. We have very interesting guests coming up on this podcast as well. Uh, so, Steve, if there's anything else you would like to say, we'd like to wrap this up. No, nothing at all. I'm good to go. And uh, thank you again for having me. Thanks so much, Steve. Thanks for taking the time, man. Really appreciate it. This was fun. And uh, talk to you soon. Have a good day, man. Bye-bye. Sounds good, buddy. Be well. Bye.